Welcome to the Social Justice War Room, the podcast where we talk about social justice and fiction, reality, and everything in between. My guest today is a fellow webcomicer, who, as well as a YouTuber and an animator. His comic, The Crimson Fly, can be seen on a lot of different channels and different mediums. Please welcome Skipper Wing. How are you doing, Skip? Oh, it goes. It goes so well. I am honored to be here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. So your comic, The Crimson Fly, is more than just a comic because you also do animations of it. How much do you end up reusing and how much stuff do you end up making for each different medium? Um, well, so that's a very interesting and complicated question. Uh, so what ends up, ha- so the process is I start off with a sketch and then I will take that into this one program, Adobe Animate, and I'll just do inking colors on top of that. And then I will make an animation on top of the comic and that becomes a sort of program. And so after the program is programming is done, then I will take that programming, get rid of the programming, and then it just becomes just a straight up video. And then I will upload that while also uploading the sketch or the, the, the inked and colored sketch that I used as a basis for my animation. Um, within the animation itself, um, I reuse as much as possible. Uh, I was actually explaining to a, a student earlier today that I just I do not have time to just frame by frame and make new stuff from ev- for, for every single strip. It basically, if I can reuse it, I will do it because I, I just do not have the time to to not uh, to not reuse anything. A student, what do you teach? So I uh, um, I teach uh, animation, two uh, D character animation, as well as two uh, D puppet rigging uh, for uh, at a at a college in um, in uh, the southern USA. That's great. And with the Crimson Fly. I went through the archive before this and I noticed quite a bit of a change in tone because it started out with the character, this kid in a costume, trying to be a vigilante and not being very good at it. (laughs) But later on, it started to get much darker with him being in opposition with the police who, of course, ACAB, and Mm -hmm. ending up having to be the hero simply because he's in the position to do so was and I'm guessing real world events triggered a lot of the change oh yeah oh yeah absolutely um the initial impetus for change was that I was doing these strips and I eventually I wanted to start doing more serialized storytelling and give this character a backstory and um, then show them growing up and becoming this sort of adult figure. And then uh, the, the host where I was using to, to host it on its original uh, platform, they gave, uh, they stopped hosting it and I had to re- scrap all my plans to relearn how to repost my site. I mean, my, uh, my, uh, my comic. Um, and so during that time, uh, I started really rethinking like what exactly I wanted to say with my comic and also what I wanted to do with it. And so the, the ACAP stuff, um, yeah, no, George Floyd was a, was a big impetus on, uh, to change things on that one because it just, you, you do what you can with what you have. 
Um, and so at the time, all I had was just this comic that um, me and maybe a few people, other people read. So I wrote a, a three part storyline and I just kind of realized that like there was no way for that to have a happy ending and then still have the impact that I wanted it to have. So that storyline ends with the character in jail and there's no happy ending there. And it, it kind of took on a darker theme of what the story was, the series was already about because I, the, the, my writing rule for the character is sort of the same as Charlie Brown and uh, Daffy Duck, which is the main character never wins. Like they might have temporary victories. They might have moments where there is some catharsis for the audience, but never for the character. And so as the pandemic became, uh, took a center stage and became more of a focus, I figured, well, okay, let's do stuff with that as well. And be very careful because I don't want to step on, I don't want to put my, trivialize what is happening in the real world. But I do think that like art has a responsibility to shine a spotlight on these things. You, you don't necessarily have to be on the nose, but you can um, say something. And so as, 26, as 20, um, 19 became 2020, and November came along, then there was an opportunity to say something there. Then uh, January, um, then um, early January, there was an opportunity there. And then the, uh, the, the, the Atlanta shootings, that became its own thing. And it's, you, at first you're kind of worried about stepping on toes and saying what you shouldn't say. But I find that if you're, if you're decent enough um, writer and you 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 do your research you 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 look in where you're supposed to it's not quite as hard as it needs to be um, these days I'm not really super worried about like making a uh, about making a statement and getting people to read it now the comic is more sort of my catharsis where it's just like I have to say something so I'll say it through the comic even if nobody reads it that's well I'm certainly reading it and I hope everyone mm -hmm. who listens to the podcast is because it has been great and it keeps getting better. And one thing that you mentioned, Charlie Brown and Daffy Duck, obviously Spider-Man's the superhero version of that as a hapless everyman. But Spider-Man's relationship with the police is much, much cozier to say the least. Yeah, and I have problems with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing that I haven't really fully been able to reconcile is that, um, and I had this conversation with a friend, is that like, because they're defenders of the status quo, um, superheroes have an inherently problematic relationship with, uh, with, uh, with society and, and the status quo as a whole. Um, because they're, they are, arb sure, they're arbiters of justice, but they're also arbiters of the law, and they have, so they default to the nearest possible authority, and I think it's something, and so in an ideal world, it's like, okay, well, they work with the police, and the police are all good, and that's all well and fine, but we don't live in that world, and while that would be fine to say, portray it as fiction, um, Marvel, especially, and, and to a lesser extent, DC, portray themselves as the world outside your window. 
And unfortunately, that means that the world outside your window means that all the baggage that we have in the real world goes into the fictional world because it's not stated otherwise. So I didn't like that. And so that's why the Crimson Spy has a abusive relationship with with uh with uh the with the police because it's on the one hand they the 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 fly is trying to do the right thing and there are quote unquote criminals quote unquote that need to be stopped but they're but the fly is also turning them in to people who don't have their best interests at heart but what can you do and well, also that a lot of crime is a direct result of poverty and desperation. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I want to tackle as well, which is part of the reason why <laughs> actual crime has slowly started to take more and more of a backseat to, oh, hey, here is, here is a systemic issue that just so happens to affect my main character. Huh, go figure. Yeah. I wonder if Spider-Man's ever going to like extrapolate upon like what the socioeconomic conditions of the burglar who killed his uncle Ben were and if he's advocating his responsibility just by reacting to violent crimes by lawbreakers rather than uh, this larger system that enables it. And see, I think that that gets to a heart at the a problem at the heart of superhero comics is that superhero comics don't really want to acknowledge systemic issues. Like uh, we always say that that oh, it's so tired to say that oh, if Batman really wanted to help with his money, um, then he would fund social systems. He would give up fighting, punching people, um, poor people, and sending them to jail and sending them to the Arkham Asylum and what have you. But I think it's also an issue that that uh, Western comics and Western comics audiences don't want to see that story. It's not that it, it can't be told or that it would be very boring. It's that we just we don't want to see that, and we don't want to admit that of, about ourselves. Well, it's also that like the end game of them going up against an oppressive system is them either losing to it or winning and either creating something new that superheroes probably aren't really qualified to enforce or just creating a world, a much better world where there isn't as much drama and thus not as much reason for stories. And it's, it's interesting because you see that in the Marvel movies with the slow, slow decline of the usage of the Iron Man character. Yeah. Because uh, at first where it's like, oh yeah, he builds a suit. And he goes out and he punches, uh, he punches poor Middle Eastern people. Iron Man 1 did not age very well. No, um, it didn't. I, I mean, that movie was my Woodstock because I was a, one of the few people who was reading the comics at the time and seeing like the Malibu mansion he has from the late 80s comics. I was like, yeah, but yeah, mm-hmm. the politics didn't age well and given the way the character evolved and how he didn't actually become better he just took the kind of imperial law enforcement into his own hands and applied it to a global scale and then Thanos showed up so he turned out to be right all along for building all these death weapons Mm -hmm. 
But you notice that like Captain America becomes even more active in during that period of the MCU. Um, whereas Iron Man's just like, yeah, I'm just giving them the money and I'm um, mentoring this poor um, disenfranchised child, but I'm not really Iron Man if I don't have to be. And you yeah. can tell that Marvel's just like, yeah, because Tony would change the world yeah. in a way that we can't depict. So he's just going to be on the sidelines. He's going to be retired from being Iron Man. That's cool with you guys, right? And we're like, no, give us more Iron Man. What are you doing? Well, with Homecoming, there's, again, the production issue that Robert Downey Jr.'s price was so high they could only afford him for like 10 minutes in that movie. Mm -hmm. But also it basically means that he's letting the vulture wreak havoc because it's below his pay grade, even though... As they point out, the vulture was turned to crime because Tony ran him out of business mm -hmm. without even realizing it. And so ultimately, you're, you have a quote unquote hero who's just letting his unpaid intern take all the fall. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, <laughs> and, it, and it's funny because uh, like even even with the production issues and all that jazz, then Tony goes out, like you said, Tony goes out on a high note. And everybody else has to deal with the follow-up, but you also get to avoid the questions that the character brings up and never answered. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's frustrating because I think it speaks to a larger cultural issue of the idea that like entertainment can only be that. And the idea that it can be about anything deeper is used as a defense against criticizing it so that you can, it can only keep doing those shallow takes, which is really frustrating. Yeah, especially, I imagine, as an independent creator who's trying to do something different but doesn't have the plat anywhere near the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be fair, I'm, as I get older, I'm a little bit grateful, more grateful that I don't have the platform because then I have the freedom to keep saying what I want to say and keep doing what I want to do. Um, like, uh, last year at the beginning of last year, um, there was the, the shooting in Atlanta. Um, and I felt a way about it. And I was, I thought, well, how can I respectfully bring attention to this and the issues, the societal issues behind this without feeling like I am, um, profiting off of a tragedy. Um, so I did some, so I, I did some writing, I changed some settings and so having, and I actually ended up creating my first supervillain character, which was, it's kind of weird that it's been going, the, the comic's been going on for a while and there's only now the, the first supervillain who's not really a supervillain just so much as it's the Punisher, but but like yeah. a 15 year old kid. And so after I came up, I was just like, okay, so how can we do this respectfully? I don't, I'm not Asian American. Um, I'm not Asian descendant. I don't, I've never been to a massage parlor. I've never... I'm not going to set my story in a massage parlor. So I'm going to set it in a grocery store because that's more universal. Um, I'm not going to have it explicitly be about the racist, about, about the racism so much as it is just hatred. And so we'll see how, where that goes. And then right as I finished writing up my synopsis, there was a shooting at a grocery store in Colorado. And I was like, wow, wow. Yeah. So you, you kind of realize that it's not so much that the, the comedians are, are prophets so much as they see the patterns so well that they know that, they, that they're less 
they're less uh, crystal balls and more broken clocks that are somehow yeah. managed to be right more than twice a day. Yeah. One thing that is an interesting thing with craft and storytelling, eventually you stopped having dialogue in your comics. <laughs> and I think in situations like that, it leaves it more up to interpretation. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, like for... Has that ended up giving some interpretations of your work that you hadn't seen? Um, to my knowledge, not really. Um, and that's more because I don't get a lot of feedback. Oh. Um, so it's, as far as I know, people are taking it the way that I intend for it to be taken. Yeah. Um, but if, if somebody has an alternate opinion, I'm or alternate interpretation, I'm very open to, to uh, hearing it. Well, they say the picture is worth a thousand words. And when you know what to look for, which I imagine most people in our times do, like a lot of the images, such as the fly seeing Trump and Biden during the 2020 election <laughs> and realizing that Biden doesn't have any interest in changing things, which given how he's given Biden talking about funding the police more seems unfortunately prophetic, but very expected. Yeah. And I think for me, the, where that came across, where that came from was being active on social media, but also having a working in a place where I have to be an authority on certain topics. And it, I, I think it's, not great that the cartoon professor is also the politics professor um but it also means that like i have to keep up and up and up on these sorts of things even when i don't really want to so that way if i if somebody does ask me about that then i'm like okay well i have a i have thoughts i or rather i have informed thoughts about this i don't have necessarily have the right opinion but i have informed thoughts about that and so part of that was like looking into the history of, of uh, politicians like uh, President Biden and seeing where they tended to, where they tended to, not only where they tended to land, but also the types of platforms they had to, um, to champion to be able to get where they are. Yeah. Which well, sucks because, you know, the, he made a lot of promises. I'm still waiting on him to keep. Yeah, it's... I, I do think of the way you drew him with like the same shadowy eyes and scowl as Trump, which I mean, it, it's complete, it's disingenuous to say they're the same, but they're both mm -hmm. part of a system. And as like one of my, my other guests, Mo Black put it, one's, one prefers to pacify the left with symbolic gestures while the other prefers to just crush them but mm -hmm. and while the former is technically better neither is a solution to the bigger problem yeah and uh and that's also i think that's also something a benefit that i have for my comic is that my character is only able to affect change on the smaller scale yeah. so it allows me to to point out the problem without point and also point to my character as the solution. Yeah. 
Well, that that helps make them relatable because a lot of us are in that boat where the big picture is so horrifying and we have so little ability to change it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but it does, it helps to see it, even a fictional character like the fly doing something, whatever they can. And there was especially good strip you did showing some different flies throughout history, like during slavery, during the civil rights movement. Where do you get, do you plan on expanding on that kind of legacy for the character? Um, <laughs> uh, this is actually the first time I've heard that there was any interest for that. Um, I would love to. Uh, the the idea then was there was I think it I forget when that happened that it was Black History Month and I wanted to do something special, um, and so I was going to do a story wherein um, it was probably going to it was probably just going to purely focus on that first time period where the during um, a, a pre Civil War where the character is helping other slaves escape, but something that was that had come across in social media a lot was the whole idea of the only is like, oh man, we are so tired of seeing, seeing black torture porn um, being passed around as meaningful discussion. And I was like, oh crap, I'm about to do black torture porn. Crap, I need to do, uh, I need to do something else. So I pivoted towards the idea of always overcoming throughout the ages and how the uh, how the Afro-American experience has evolved and how they, how we found ways to sort of um, to 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 get the better of society. And so I don't know, I think that is a very interesting idea of of taking the fly across different times or time periods and seeing how things change and what and um, how things change or how the past informs the present. Because the other thing that I want for the character is a sort of timelessness as well, wherein you can plot them in any setting and they just fit or the, the, the set, their, their particular context fits that particular setting. So uh, it's very uh, heartening to hear that, like, uh, that, there, that there is interest for, for the fly to sort of jump time zones in different and, uh, and explore different themes and how history kind of repeats itself across time yeah that sounded way deeper than i than i intended <laughs> well you're definitely on to something here and it's it's a great message that within any oppressed community an individual can emerge as long as they have the courage and the extremely large feet <laughs> yep which is another thing that your style is incredibly stylized and I don't say that that as a bad thing at all I say that as a good thing and you, you can immediately recognize the fly by his sil their silhouette and especially the feet yeah so the feet had a funny story um I had initially wanted the 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 character to sort of reflect their, their physical appearance to reflect their superpowers or rather their superpowers to reflect in their physical appearance because I always had problems with the idea that, oh man, Superman's an alien who just so happens to have the exact same anatomy as human beings, even though nothing in his structural uh, um, 
um, his structure should allow him to do what he does. Like if you want to be strong as an elephant, a second. elephant. Oh. Yeah, sorry, go on. Go on. Oh yeah, go ahead, I I'm good. Um, so like, I thought like if Superman is gonna be strong as an elephant, he probably should be shaped kind of like an elephant or a gorilla or what have you. Now, I mean, obviously that doesn't make for a fun fiction, but I figured I could do that in my designs. So I had initially given the character um, like a digigrade feet, like a cheetah or a dog or any sort of quadruped. And eventually that just got too hard to draw, but the, the feet just kind of stayed iconic. Um, so I just kept them as is and just kind of made them normal feet that are just really, really big. Yeah, it, so, but there's still kind of a magical realism there in that it is very much the world outside our window to a much greater degree than the Marvel universe, but the fly is stylized with that look and the abilities they have to like jump around and endure an unimaginable amount of punishment. <laughs> Amen to that. Yeah, I got I got hit by a car a few weeks ago. That is not oh, fun. God, are you okay? Oh yeah, no, I was fine. Um, the car did was not able to actually ramp up to full speed, and when it hit me, which um, and then also I was able to survive. I also got hit into another car before I went hit, hit the ground, so my head did not hit anything dangerous. But uh, about a week later, I, I got my hands on a bike helmet. That's so, good. Um, yeah, the, the car pillow myth, it, it is somewhat viable. I would not recommend it, but yeah. also now I know what that feels like. And I will definitely still be subjecting my character to being hit by a car in the near future. Yeah, that, well, it doesn't sound at all outside the realm of possibility for the fly. And it, as far as other characters go, there is a lot of emphasis on the community around the fly, people mm -hmm. who support them, people who come to their aid, and it doesn't quite manifest as the typical supporting cast you see for heroes because they don't know the fly very well. They just have like a similar impetus of seeing someone in harm and wanting to do something about it. Yeah, so the thing with that is that, like, it always, the, the, the it, for me, it was always the difference between Superman and Batman, um, or at least for me personally. Like, I see Batman as a police officer. Like, his job is to get the bad guys and to punish the, the wicked, whereas Superman is more of a firefighter, where his job is to save the innocent and prevent disaster, like natural disaster, um, man-made disaster, what have you. But he saves people, whereas Batman punishes bad people. Now, there's a gajillion counterexamples of Batman sitting, like there's like everybody likes to bring up Batman with Baby Doll in Batman the Animated Series, or Batman with Ace in um, Justice League. Right. Um, or like Batman diving out the window to to save Rachel Dawes in The Dark Knight. Oh, um, but like, I think that those are exceptions that prove the rule where Batman is driving around in his bat tank, shooting, um, shooting up uh, uh, tank, uh, shooting up criminals, punching people in the face, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so what I wanted for the fly was this whole idea of let's meet the people that they are helping. <laughs> like it, it shouldn't be, oh, I'm helping you 
for the sake of my own personal justice or my own personal guilt or because of my own personal tragedy to, to avoid going to therapy. It's I'm helping you because I, I like, I read comics and I like what the superheroes do. And I want to be a superhero in the same vein as those superheroes, which means caring about the people that you're helping. It's not just doing it and then disappearing into the night. It's, or not just only handling the big issues. It's also handling the small issues. Cat in the tree. What would Superman do? Um, somebody is uh, somebody is freezing cold, or somebody is a, needs a, needs help, or needs a ride to the hospital. What would um, what would Captain America do? And so on and so forth. I mean, and yes, even to a lesser extent, what would what would um, Spider Man do? What would Bat- what would the more altruistic versions of Batman do? So on and so forth. Like, be the hero that y- you want to read about, or in or in my case, draw the hero that you want to read about. Which is great. And it occurred to me when you were describing the exceptions in the cartoons of Batman doing nice things that for the most part, Batman is an extremely unpleasant individual to be around and everyone close to him is either on his payroll or adopted by him. (laughs) So it does seem like the kind of argument you'd make for an abusive relationship where like oh the abuser really does care and point to examples and even like love bombing yeah justify everything else and that and it sucks because you can do takes of batman that don't rely on that like um one of my favorite webtoons right now is a wayne family adventures oh yeah where where like a Batman is the the well he is the adoptive father to an entire family ranging from um, adults to young uh, young tweens, and you get to see that side of Batman that people claim is there but they never want to see, and it's it's wonderful. Like uh, one of the more recent strips involves Batman and Catwoman chasing each other and they start flirting with each other like you would expect in a darker edgier comic, until it turns out that Batman. Bruce being a dad left the phone line on so everyone can hear him flirting with his uh with his uh with his girlfriend and he, at the end she, even she calms him she um, comforts him and just like you'll get over it I think it's cute I think it's adorable I still like you because you're still Batman and he's just like yes but I'm bat dad and I will never live this down and it's adorable yeah and it's I mean, it's still a DC-owned production, and it's clearly meant for the webtoon audience rather than the typical comic audience. But it's Batman as a dopey dad works so much better than what we usually see, mm-hmm. and partly Which, I mean, just because it's a refreshing change of pace. Yeah, exactly, and like I, because I, I still haven't seen the Batman yet, and you can tell I haven't seen it because I made fun of it in the Christian Bale voice, even though Pattinson is doing his own thing. Yeah. But like, and I think that it's going to be good. I, yeah. I'm going to go see it because I have to, because again, college professor who teaches cartoons, I need to go see it so that I, I can say I know what I'm talking about. Um, but I'm not really holding out hope that it's going to change my mind on, or I'm not, that's gonna, I'm going to see something that I haven't seen before. I think I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to see a, more well-refined version of the same, which great. Um, I've I've seen this movie. I remember when I saw it when it was called The Dark Knight slash Batman Begins. 
I saw it when it was Michael Keaton's Batman and I saw it when it was Ben Affleck's Batman. Um, and I don't need to see that Batman anymore. Yeah, it's the there's a desperate need for culture to have some new stuff at the forefront. Um, and like, I mean, and to a lesser extent, like you see that even with Spider-Man as well, where like Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man was a more contemporary version of Toby's. Maybe a little bit too contemporary because like I get that the character was supposed to be a bit of a of a standoffish jerk. And I think that like the writing took him too far in that direction. Like you understand why this version of Peter didn't have friends, but at the same time, you're not really saying more than uh than what the the Toby version was saying. And I think even even the Holland version has that problem a little bit as well. Yeah. At least the advantage Holland has is that he at least looks like he can play a teenager. Mm-hmm. And that and the, the thing is that like they're all fantastic actors. Yeah. Um, and I think also it's safe to say that they're the the directing the, the directing is also fantastic as well. Like you you there isn't one of these movies where they're it's so bad that we can all universally agree this did not need to be made. Well, parts um, of Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh, absolutely, but there's the word parts. Yeah, that's Not a good point. The the thing as a whole, like the when they read, like I hated that they redesigned his suit to be more comic accurate, but you can tell they loved the comics Spider-Man because like Tobey Maguire, if you go back and you watch the, the 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 Raimi trilogy, like he can't move in that suit. Yeah. Um, but then they 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 updated for Andrew Garfield. And he can move in that suit. You, you don't make a suit like that without loving the character and loving the design. Um, That's a good point. And of course, there were a lot of complaints from fans, just like there were a lot of complaints from fans from the way they designed the PS4 spider suit. And mm-hmm. those complaints ultimately didn't matter at all because in the larger context, it worked fine. The larger context was good. Well, and, and it's funny because that speaks to a, a larger social issue that we have as consumers is that our media literacy and media consumption literacy is almost non-existent. Because we, we argue about these meaningless things like, oh, Robert Pattinson, the vampire is going to play Batman. And it's like, okay, but if you followed Robert Pattinson's career since twi- before Twilight and since Twilight, yeah, yes, the vampire can play Batman really well and also did we not learn from the gay cowboy in Brokeback Mountain playing the Joker and wowing us with that did we not learn and I even I'm tempted to just keep like a list of receipts of all these takes so that every time someone starts liking a thing I can show all the times they complained about it beforehand Mm mm-hmm like but. Mr. Mom is gonna be Batman. Yes, Mr. Mom is gonna be Batman, and you're gonna be, you're going to be clamoring for him to come back thirty years later. Yeah. So, to to close out, what what do we have to look forward to for your work for the Fly and for any other projects? Well, so for right now, the Crimson Fly is on a little bit of a break um, because what I had initially started doing because I, I recently took on a new full time job. 
And the responsibilities are way more intense than, uh, than previously. Um, and then I also have an alternate account that I'm also doing work for that I can't really, I can't share on, on, on the stream. And so, not stream, on, uh, in, the, in the podcast. And so what my initial plan was, was I will just do monthly comics, monthly animated comics. And then I went and binged my my archive of comics that I I built up over the last year or so, and I realized that I loved doing weeklies, and I, I I absolutely could not go without doing and reading weekly comics, um, or weekly stories, and make a a four, a four part um individual monthly story. So to that end, I've decided to revamp my workflow and start making uh, puppet rigs in both Toon Boom Harmony and Adobe Animate because making the comics. No problem. Animating the comics, especially without panels and without dialogue, that's a little bit more intensive than, I, uh, than I'd want to uh, dive into. So I need an equalizer. And it's like, you, like we talked about at the beginning about parts that are reused. If I can make some assets that are, that are reusable, then I can start bringing that, that, uh, that world of the flyback. Um, so I'm hoping that by the end of March, I will have that rig available for at least the both the fly, the police, um, the fly, a police officer, and a uh, hoodlum, and I can start building comics around that. Nice. And then as I'm building comics, and I can build more characters and start integrating more of them into the world. Um, I also want to start bringing in more supervillains and also bringing in more rivalry storylines with the characters that already exist. Um, because I like that this, the fly has a, a community, but I also want to have some characters that represent the same, that represent um, social, uh, uh, social um, constructs the same way that the fly represents the relatable um, average, uh, average individual who exists in a, in a, a society. So I want to have some characters that, that, that work like that. So like my first supervillain character, the, uh, the, the shooter kid, who needs a name? Um, I that character expect to see that character come back a lot, but then also expect to see some other characters that come in that that also challenge the mindsets. Um, so that's that's on one side of the thing, and then the other, I have some other fan animations that I want to start getting into, and I also want to get into video essays. Yeah, um, good. Because I have a lot of thoughts about a lot of things, like how um, in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the very first episode. Um, Sam Wilson jumping out of a plane to save um, to save a, a military agent um, from Batrock the Leaper mirrors Steve Rogers jumping out of a plane to save military agents from Batrock the Leaper. And what that's meant to tell us about Sam Wilson and why he would make for a good Captain America all in the first 10 minutes of his new show. Yeah, that, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good point. And that's definitely something worth investigating. So thank you so much, Skip, for being on our show. You can check out the Crimson Fly in the notes below. Have a good evening, everyone. Thank you. Bye.